Hello again, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Rachkowski, your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with the thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technologies that will shape the future of food. Very happy to be speaking today with Adi Oja, the COO of Food Fund. Welcome to the program today, Adi. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, pleasure meeting with you. Excellent. Lisa, I'd like to start getting into these podcasts um, with uh, exciting people like yourself is really learning about how who you were before your current activities. What were you doing that uh, brought you up to getting started with uh, the Food Fund? Yeah, Chris, that's an interesting journey, to be honest. I'm from India. I did my uh, mechanical engineering from there. As a, as a young kid, I was always brought up with very strong values. Uh, my grandfather happened to be in the agriculture industry, and uh, I always used to hear about how not to waste food, even at dinner table. The last grain of rice uh, was supposed to be finished on your plate as well. Nothing to be thrown out. Um, so I was grown with that, those kind of values and um, uh, that kind of mind frame of making an impact in whatever I do. The very first job that I had was with Andritz Hydro, which was in renewable sources, uh, sources of energy. Uh, they were into building hydro turbines uh, back in India. Um, I was a quality inspector over there. I learned a lot about the business and I really um, understood what kind of uh, resources are used and what kind of impact they have um, in, in the community. Later on, I decided to pursue management and business administration. The best opportunity that I was looking for was to explore the uh, you know Western side of the world. So I decided to pursue that here in Canada. Uh, I'm a, a DeGroot uh, Master alumni. Uh, I pursued that between the years of 2015 to 2017. Um, there were a lot of things that I, I learned across, you know, my, my tenure and uh, one of the key factors that helped, my cousin brother and I were, you know, driving one day and we realized that uh, there was a person standing with a boat uh, saying that they, they are hungry and homeless. And uh, not too few red lights away, we saw a big superstore throwing out a lot of food. Back then I was just struggling with, you know, getting job or making a career of uh, what I pursued in the last two years and uh, on discussing what what was idea back in January 2017 I started making a deep thought on what uh, what we could do as entrepreneurs um, in the community keeping that thought in mind uh, we did some research with farmers and we realized that a lot of food is wasted on the basis of their cosmetic imperfections and you know sometimes just grown in surplus and that was a thought which was or that was a concept which was very rare to me because back in india what we never saw peppers or tomatoes which were perfect size or you know perfect shape or in the perfect condition being deep in i realized that you know the number one produce was always exported uh, to to countries like uh, canada US, and europe uh, what we see in the grocery store is not actually what is grown um, or, or you know, the best part of it really comes out for display and that's how the consumer behavior is. So when I saw these produce, it reminded me of home. Uh, and I was like, I've, I've had that, there's nothing wrong with it. And um, I just thought that, you know, probably it's time to put that, you know, in display for, for consumers to put, you know, their mouth where their money is. Yeah. Food Fund came into existence in 2017. And uh, here we are, four years later, still trying to keep mm -hmm. So you have a, an amazing family background as well as education, work experience, both on multiple areas in the world that uh, were really formative for you uh, getting started in this current company of Food Fund. And you know, tell us more about what's going on with Food Fund. Food Fund, you know, I'll just quickly introduce in, uh, in a line or so. We basically are an imperfect grocery delivery service. 
what we do is uh, we gather fruits, vegetables, and other grocery items from either greenhouses, farmers, manufacturers, or wholesalers. And uh, we get it to a warehouse and we put it in a box and we deliver it to households. Um, now customers like yourselves can uh, go onto the website and they can curate their own specific subscription. It's a weekly subscription by default. However, um, we we offer benefits such as uh, no contract. You're not obligated to buy it every week. Uh, if there's some leftovers from last week, you can skip certain certain weeks if you wish to. And uh, the best part is that you can choose exactly what you want week after week. Over the years, we have realized that uh, the most important thing uh, for the customer is to um, really be available with with all the items that they really need and that's what uh, we have tried to develop over the last four years the best thing about all the items that you're purchasing is uh, they have a kind of a story behind them um, as i mentioned before certain imperfections such as not meeting standards or certain potatoes being um, bigger in size or smaller in, in size than the specifications that's what you get you get surplus items something that the farmers grow but they could not sell uh, that's where we come in. Certain logistical issues such as barcode errors or uh, you know transportation damages, something on those lines. Um, those are also uh, you know uh, kind of the stories that we have behind the items that we source. On a weekly basis, you you basically just uh, keep recurring the subscription and you get your items to your door. Um, we have been in existence for the last four years. Uh, we started off in 2017. We have recently moved into uh, the GTA area, which is city in, uh, in Ontario. Um, we have had a lot of good response in the smaller cities like London or Waterloo, Hamilton, Burlington as well. And um, one of the biggest reasons why consumers associate themselves with the Brand Food Fund is uh, because of the mission behind uh, the company, which is leading a sustainable lifestyle and um, having, uh, having a conscious decision of putting your money where uh, you can really contribute to the community. It's, it's an amazing story and um, really sounds it's not only great for the producers, the farmers, but also, of course, the consumers. Um, when I first heard about Food Fund, I thought, oh, it must be a not-for-profit organization. This sounds very interesting. But um, in fact, you're a for-profit company that has found, essentially found a niche in the market that has not been taken care of. It, it's a situation where product that is valuable and can be sold is a, in many cases landfilled, thrown away, um, but you're now taking that and creating valuable products, both adding revenue essentially straight to the bottom line to the producer, but also you know, providing to people, it seems, what they want, which is participating in a more sustainable food supply chain. Is that, I think, is that sort of a reasonable summary of what you're doing? Just to add to that, if I may, um, 2017 was a year when, uh, you know, I believe that all these trends were in line. And uh, all that we keep discussing is how the land is becoming short of, uh, you know, more growing and the capacity or the consumption uh, of food is increasing over the years. What we do not realize is, are we even able to use the existing supply that we have? And that's a thought that should be, uh, you know, helping us bridging the gap between the scarcity in the world uh, when it comes to food, um, rather than thinking about how can we generate more land to more fertile or grow more food? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just optimizing what we already have because you've you've actually created a business 
on which was once a waste stream of perfectly re good quality food. Now, in, in the current state of your business, are you mostly looking at local sourcing in Ontario or around the Toronto area, or are you going beyond, you know, other regions? Yeah, as you mentioned, it's a it's a win-win scenario for both both the uh, aggregators of this business, um, either ourselves or the suppliers or the consumers for that matter. Which means that any um, any uh, any locality that we are serving, we are sourcing imperfect produce or supply from the farmers that are nearby. It just makes more sense. Uh, local is are always first priority. Of course, we live in Canada, so it kind of becomes difficult in the winter months, but that's why we have, you know, some certain greenhouses as our partners, which help us supply food throughout the year. Um, so our very first guru will always be the local supply, and by local supply, I don't mean, um, you know, Leamington for London and Toronto. It means uh, Alliston for Toronto, Leamington for London, Waterloo for the Waterloo location. So those, those kind of things actually play in very uh, beneficial for us, where we are able to create this hyper-local uh, model wherever we go. Mm. Uh, not, uh, you, we try and reduce all the carbon footprints that is practically possible. Of course, we are here to uh, you know, maintain a good logistics and supply chain, but it just makes more business sense as well to, to be as local as possible. Now, are your, I guess on the supply side, are your suppliers typically the primary producers, farmers, or are they for example, the grocery chains that might have, you know, produce, fruits and vegetables that they aren't able to use, or is it a mixture? Not yet. I would say the grocery partners uh, are still not there. Um, I know that there are a lot of companies out there uh, that, that do this, where they provide a platform for, you know, either uh, uh, yet to or uh, soon to expire products that can, that can go off the shelf quickly. I think that's a great model as well. Uh, we haven't really tapped into that kind of a structure yet, so we currently deal only with uh, growers or wholesalers. So we talk about, uh, you know, Ontario Food Terminal pumping out almost six million pounds of food. A percent of supply here and there can lead to so much wastage. Um, so we're just trying to sort that problem out first. Source. By the time that it reaches grocery store and it is going to waste, unfortunately, that's probably the end of life. So. Mm. Um, the produce or the grocery products that we have are not the, you know, black spot bananas or, uh, you know, the, the moldy uh, tomatoes or the overripe tomatoes. Uh, they're perfectly good tomatoes, just imperfect in size. That's it. Okay. Probably not the red tomatoes. They are off red or, you know, a red delicious apple is not typically red in color. Okay. So that, uh, I think, clarifies the upstream side of your business and supply chain. Now, it sounds like on the downstream side of your business, the, the consumers, you have a platform that allows individuals like myself to purchase these fruits and vegetables. Do you sell primarily to individuals or do you also have, for example, restaurants or other types of um, sort of intermediaries that might be selling to a final consumer? We've been on that journey, um, you know, a long time ago. Uh, unfortunately, our uh, technology infrastructure does not help us to uh, really provide the value that the restaurants are looking for. However, there are a lot of local restaurants that do not require that kind of sophistication uh, and are ready to, you know, tolerate certain ups and downs. 
they are our partners and we do supply to certain restaurants but not on a large scale yet we are looking at you know produce which is not available throughout the year and we cannot guarantee whether that would be there so uh, you know households like yourselves can tolerate um a green pepper instead of a yellow pepper sometimes uh so we do not specify the kind of apples that you'll be getting you might get empires today you might get red delicious the other day um however when it comes to restaurants they are pretty particular with it and uh, our business model does not really gel in with them um and that is where the biggest problem comes where you know they're looking for a very specific kind of a broccoli not broccoli crown they're looking for a broccoli mm-hmm. bunch and um that's where the problem comes but there are a couple of restaurants that tolerate that kind of things and um happy to talk about those yeah you know i i think you know for quite some time now the i might say the more forward thinking restaurants are maybe more focused on matching the instead of matching what comes on a plate with what picture on a menu for you know the 500 restaurant chain with here's what's fresh today here's here's what's available today and that's where therefore that's what we're cooking today and that's what the consumers can purchase today so it, it sounds like you're already finding these um sort of um independent restaurants that yes. do match nicely with your you know what you're able to provide yes i don't know whether this will happen again because i remember my grand grandfather telling me where they used to go to restaurants where there was no menu uh the server will come to you and tell you what's what's on the menu on that day and mm. i wish those days come back where you know uh, we don't have a preset menu we just serve what is fresh and what is available yeah well I, the funny thing is i think um to have that experience you maybe have to play pay $100 a plate because <laughs> those are the very high end restaurants where the chef yeah. determines what you're going to eat versus yeah. what the customer determines what they're going to eat but yeah. you've also touched on some interesting areas um that we like to discuss in this program on the technology side clearly you fully got the sustainability side covered your entire business is based on sustainability and supply chain and re- and actually using product that would be wasted but as you're describing there's always some challenges on the technical implementation and maybe tell us more about the challenges you you face and then we can explore you know how do we resolve those challenges yes so this technology is becoming so advanced these days and it is so difficult for uh you know small entrepreneurs or small businesses to really adapt to the these methodologies and um you know really provide a customer with the experience that they are so used to uh through the bigger companies worldwide so um you know if if you look at amazon the kind of experience that you have there uh just going on to the app and exactly the app knows what you need to buy um that kind of the sophistication really comes as a big cost which really the small businesses can't afford at these days and at the same time i would like to mention and there are a lot of companies that are trying to mitigate this gap by providing you know custom kind of a solution um however nobody has currently explored that option in the grocery industry yet because the kind of commodity that we're dealing with has a life and very short life uh so we are not selling nuts and bolts out here where you know you can you can keep it in the stock and, and uh, trigger the customer's mind to purchase it we're looking at grocery item which happens to be so personal So on that side it it really becomes kind of difficult to let us uh, to let our customers know what is what is available. And thank God for the customers that we have they're so patient and tolerant because of the way the business model is you really need to 
adapt to the 18th century or the 17th century kind of a mindset where you don't know what kind of apple you're getting. So that is the technology front that we are currently facing where we are not able to update it on live um, live terms where you know we could let our customers know that this is the stuff that is going to come in so you can make last minute changes. Furthermore, uh, the supply chain is becoming an issue where um, you know customers are very used to getting everything in the next hour, next five minutes sometimes. We talk about um, you know a company called Gorilla in, in Europe where the groceries will be delivered to you in the next 45 minutes or there is there will be a discount or a pizza gets delivered to you within 25 minutes. And that kind of a supply chain is coming at a cost and not just financially. And that's where we are struggling with technology. Mm. Um, not able to um, provide customers with the kind of luxury that they're used to, which I find it hard to educate everybody. That grocery store will send you stuff in the next 40, but they will have to put in so much effort and so much logistics into it. Today, we have nutrition labels on every package, and we all of us are aware of it that this wasn't there if we talk about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, this was not even a thing. And now we have all the nutritional facts over there. I'm waiting for the day when in the next two years, three years or five years, we see that there's a carbon footprint label over there on the on the mm. well. And that is something which will help you make a purchase decision. Just like nutrition label is helping you not buy a $2 granola bar, but a $4 granola, granola bar, which is organic and more nutritional because you can see it right there. Tomorrow, right. your decision making criteria where you will look at the carbon footprint as well that this has traveled 5,000 kilometers in a ship from the, the other countries right so that's that's where the technology part we are struggling with to really provide customers with an experience but not at the cost of the environment yeah and this brings up another interesting topic um, that we see sometimes which is supply chain transparency now your supply chain is pretty short and it seems in most cases you know there's really three entities. There's the farmer, there's food fund, your company, and then there's the consumer. And leave out the logistics piece for the moment. But um, people have shown, a, it seems, a, a strong interest in understanding where their food comes from, who's producing it, do they trust that producer, what part of the world is it coming from? And you have a, an interesting twist on your business, as you described. Yes, a, you know, a, one of your customers might buy apples, but they may not know what type of apples they're going to get, and they can be okay with that. But do you see an, an opportunity, you know, for essentially creating additional comfort and interest from your consumers, even if they don't know if they're going to get a red or a green apple, if they have transparency on where it came from, they might even be happier because they they know it's coming from you know local supplier farmer X and they feel comfortable with that. Do you see that as an opportunity for your company? Definitely. And uh, we, are, we are working as we speak on a, on a platform which is more advanced than the current one. Um, and I've clearly laid it out where, you know, the products will have the, the supply chain or, you know, the transparency of origin and uh, whatnot with it. Um, while we discuss that within my operations team, that is exactly what we're discussing as the day passes. Where should we draw the line on transparency when it comes to when we even don't know what kind of supply are we going to get? I wish that I could get a cauliflower which is from, uh, you know, a farmer, Dan, nearby. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that, that farmer will have the cauliflower on that week or not. And at that point of time, 
there might be a call from my supplier at the terminal that will say that a batch of cauliflower from California is going to waste, and that has happened in the past. This is a true example where I've purchased um, cauliflower at at ridiculous prices and offered to the customers, but they happen to be from California while there was local uh, actually available. Um, and that's when you start to question what kind of transparency will actually help. And this is this is not that I'm trying to justify hiding certain things. I'm just trying to justify how much information will help the customer to make a decision. They get to know that the cauliflower is from California and they do not want to purchase it. Good for them. Very good for them. But at that point of time, I just feel that the, the cauliflower from California is actually going to waste. And that's 1500 liters of water that will go down the drain. Are we really aware of that? Whereas a local cauliflower supplier will be able to sell that cauliflower at least to somebody else. And if not, and that is where, you know, my, my second thought comes in where there's a second stream of revenue that we have. Uh, there's a second stream of uh, operations that we have where there's a lot of food that is donated to local communities. Um, so a local supplier cauliflower, which I did not purchase this week to sell it to the customers. And the following a day or two, I am going to divert that into the food community that we have. And this is what we are struggling with, to be honest, with the transparency of, of logistics and supply chain. With every minute things changing, it becomes kind of difficult. So either I can guarantee that the, the cauliflower will be local, or I can guarantee that the cauliflower which, which you're going to use is going to be true to our ethos, which is not being wasted. Yeah. You know, I can even imagine that there's another, if you will, permutation on this business model and that you have customers that enjoyed buying cauliflower from Farmer X. Um, and when they, you know, they come back a week or two later, um, that's not available, but they said, well, I, I thought Farmer X produced good quality. What's he selling this week? Uh, and, and there you may be able to provide transparency back to, okay, not even the product, but the source. And essentially you're that nexus point for connecting a consumer to a producer, not because the consumer wants cauliflower, but because the consumer wants to purchase from that producer. Do you see that in your future? Yes, definitely. At, at all times, Chris, the, the number one thing that I can always guarantee that the food fund subscriber will always put their dollar towards a sustainable, non-wasteful kind of system. Will they put it, all their money towards local? I cannot guarantee that at all times and unfortunately because of the country that we live in. Um, for example, in today's today's time, I cannot offer local broccoli because that's not in season. So um, overall, I can I can definitely guarantee certain things, um, you know, for, my, for the consumers that we have. And we try and have an open chat with them uh, through our emails every week. Um, but um, that, that is where an efficient technology system can really communicate with the, with the customers today. Uh, where my website will be able to give them a prompt notification that A, B, C, D items in your box are local, E, F, G are not. Mm -hmm. A, B, C, D have this story and E, F, G have this. So uh, that kind of a model will really help us in the future where um, it's, it's as transparent as possible uh, for the consumers to make a decision. Hmm. Interesting. Well, again, I guess, especially for small, medium-sized companies, one of the barriers to achieving all this, or at least not a pure barrier, it slows things down, is essentially access to that technology. Um, you're, although you have, you personally have great background on the technology side, your current company is not really a tech company. Um, it's not, you're not maybe having a, a big dev team to support all this. 
where do you go to find your solutions or do you still find that you essentially have to develop this in-house? Uh, very interesting. Um, yeah, this is this is how I put food funders. It's it's a trifecta of uh, you know logistics, food, and technology. Um, over the last four years, we have successfully you know overcome barriers on uh, logistics and food, and thank God to the suppliers that we have, the farmers that we deal with, and even the logistics teams that we deal with. To the extent that you know our suppliers help us, uh, you know store food sometimes just because there was an error and, and you know store food for a week or so in dairy for us at no cost. And this is where we are in today's world in the 21st century, everybody is so willing to help out each other where you need to step out and, and ask for help, number one. That's that's the criteria that you need to be in. And uh, see that you're up to something good, they'll definitely help you out. And that is exactly what happened with our dev team and uh, you know the technology side. Over the years we have been um, Either, uh, you know, we started off with Shopify, uh, one of the most um, loved companies in, in, in Canada, especially for, you know, startup entrepreneurs, uh, where, where we were using their platform uh, you know, for our website hosting needs. Um, in between, we, we uh, struggled during the COVID times when, when the demand increased so much that, uh, you know, we were unable to offer certain things. So we moved, you know, we outsourced it to an agency uh, back in India. Uh, and the website that is being hosted as of now it comes from there. Um, however, in the last six months, we have hired a uh, you know development team, and uh, one of my close associates, um, Atul, who sits in the US, uh, he has had a lot of experience in technology. has, has taken uh, to work on a you know pro bono basis as a CTO. Uh, so we have developed, we have we have started a developing team in the in the last six months, and the product should be out probably in the first quarter of of next year. However, saying all these things. There's one thing that hasn't changed since the last four years, and that is your hunger to learn. So either me or Divi, we are always, you know, trying to add new skills to our uh, to our set. So even if uh, you know neither of us is is a coder by profession, but we still know a lot of things, uh, technology-wise, of how to move around certain things and, and mm -hmm. adapt change. So we have kind of bootstrapped it for the last three four years, but I think it's time now where bootstrapping it is not uh, the most. Yeah. Solution. yeah. Uh, understand well you know we've talked a lot about your actual suppliers and the customers and then sort of the technology that you were developing that makes all this possible but one thing we haven't talked about is the logistics side and, and i'm curious how you manage the logistics side essentially your business is a pure e-commerce business um, mm -hmm. and what are you doing to fill the gap with the logistics system, it's probably far too uh, financially um, burdensome to have your own logistics um, infrastructure. How do you solve that? Uh, it's been a challenge, uh, especially when you're you're dealing with food. The the number one thing that we think about is the cost associated or the capital associated with you know, running this kind of a model. Over the years, we we worked on a lot of things. And the number one was reducing the lead time to the to the T. That has been the number one focus where um, the amount of time that it takes for any of the items that reaches our warehouse to the time that it reaches your door has to be within uh, that 16, 12 to 16 hour period. Uh, which means, you know, you might just get a sweet corn that was picked on the day today in the morning. We got that at 7 a.m. That box was packed and that was brought to your door at 9 a.m. So that was picked just today in the morning. That is how least 
um, you know, lead time is what we are able to gather. The number one benefit or the number one contributor to this, I would always mention, you know, our local farmers. They really go out of the way to help us out. We are able to use their infrastructure. We are able to use their logistics where, you know, which is going out to deliver uh, uh, you know trailer load of tomatoes to our neighboring superstore and they'll just put a skit of you know things that we need for the for today and they just drop off or uh, there are other logistic partners who deal with um, you know trucks or reefers uh, that we use to you know gather or pick up small loads of items from different farms hmm. And again, the ideology here was kind of difficult to manage just because we have, say for example, if you have 500 orders to fulfill today, so what kind of inventory would we be needing on hand? Because uh, it's not that I can take a skill of sweet corn and keep it for the next two weeks. So that is where uh, Divi and I sat down. And if you look at our website, everything has been converted into number of pieces, which means that you will not be buying two pounds of bananas. You will be getting six, six pieces or 10 pieces of bananas. Mm. We have calculated everything in the number of pieces which really help the customers as well and that's the feedback that we get where they're able to budget their entire week so they'll get three pieces of bananas and three pieces of apples and they'll have that as breakfast every day in the morning. What it does to the customer is this, what it does to us is that they're able to calculate the number of pieces that we would need for that inventory on that day and that's where our logistics partner come in and the supplier as well where we are able to tell them not the pounds of pieces that we would do every day. Mm-hmm. It helps us reduce food wastage, it helps the consumers plan better of their week, and it helps manage the logistics on our end on a weekly basis. Yeah, well, again, I, I as you can see, I'm quite impressed by the business that you've developed, you know, not only from a technology point of view and how you're actually solving these difficult problems of identifying your suppliers, providing for your customers, managing the logistics all in between that, and providing the technology platforms that are really necessary to make all this happen. But you, in fact, created this business out of, um, not even out of nothing, but out of a situation where the actual products you're selling would have been wasted before. And that's really such a great example, I think, for what we're trying to um, help highlight here on this podcast, which is this collision of entrepreneurship and sustainable development and how technology is facilitating sustainable development in the food space. And it's really a great big congratulations to you and, and the rest of the, the Food Fund team for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris, for those nice words. Um, and definitely my team. Um, I'm a big fan of whoever joins Food Fund team. And they really put in a lot of blood and sweat. And uh, they really help us. Excellent. Well, I, I think we uh, we should come back to this again um, in the first half of next year. and really dive into the technology side a bit more. It sounds like you're moving in that direction also. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep in touch and, and plan for yeah. that. But thank you very much for being with us on the program today. Thank you so much, Chris. It was an honor to be here. And, and thank you so much for the kind words and allowing me to speak on such a platform. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.